Good evening. It's so good to be with you tonight. Also, so good to dig into the word. I feel like God wants to just continue to move us through the, uh, the passion and what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And I, one of the things I think uh, that is so important is for us to understand that this Jesus death purchased for us citizenship in the kingdom of God. But we have to understand how the kingdom of God works. It's not like the kingdoms in this world. It's not like how we grew up thinking that we were supposed to be, how we were supposed to act, uh, what it means to be part of the kingdom. So I want to look at that tonight. I want us to remember that this salvation that purchased this citizenship for us was very costly. We, we um, and rightly so, we say salvation is free. It is for us. But Jesus purchased that salvation with a horrible price, a very valuable price. And that price was his all, death and resurrection. And Jesus um, paid the price so that we could be citizens of heaven, so that we could be restored to our fellowship with Father God. Father God paid an extremely high price. He gave up his only son. And so when we're looking at this tonight, I want us to see that this, this price was huge. Jesus paid it for us. And now we can freely partake of the kingdom of God. Philippians 2, verse 3 through 9, I'm reading from the Amplified Classic, shows us, and that's what I want to talk about tonight, the attitude of the kingdom. It shows us what Jesus' attitude was. And what did Jesus say? He said, whatever I see my father do, that's what I'm going to do. So he's acting like we know Father God acts, like the Holy Spirit acts. And this is the attitude of the kingdom. Philippians 2, 3 through 9 from the Amplified Classic. Do nothing from factional motives, through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for un from for unworthy ends. See, we live in a world where selfishness is the MO. It's the mode of operation. People think, look out for number one, you know, and that's me. <laughs> but Jesus is totally different. His kingdom is totally different. Don't be prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let each regard others as better than and superior to himself. And we're going to look at this because this is how love operates. Uh, we're going to look at this a little deeper as we go along. Let each regard the others as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. Let each of you esteem 
and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So here we're going to see what that humble mind looks like, what that attitude looks like. Let him be your example in humility, who although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes, attributes which make God God. So now we're, we're looking at Jesus when he was Christ in heaven with God, the, the beloved son, he had all the attributes of God. He was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he has all the attributes that made, make God God. And what did he do? He laid it all aside. He became a man like you and like me. We were, he was made to, be, to look just like us. He didn't look any different when he walked on earth. He laid aside his deity. Did, he did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained, but he stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity. Don't get confused. When Jesus walked on the earth, he walked just like you and me. He didn't look like God. He didn't, he didn't uh, have those divine attributes. He laid them aside. So as to assume the guise of a servant, slave, and that he became like men and was born a human being. That is just, that is just amazing. That is just mind-bending to think that God would come to earth as a man and walk through life with the pain, with the suffering, with all that man walks through life with. He walked through life like that. And after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further. Really, there's, there's something further than that? Yes. Yes, there is. He carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross, which was the lowest of the low. So he became a man, and then he lit, walked through life as a man, and then he gave up his life with that shameful death on the cross. And therefore, because he stooped so low, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. So first of all, I want us to look at the fact that in verses 3 and 4, it shows us exactly what the mind of Jesus is. And if it's the mind of Jesus, then it's the mind of the kingdom of God. It's love, love, love. Unselfish, unconditional love. 
that we see defined for us in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And I know we've been looking at this a lot recently, but I look at it every day. I need to hear it every day. I need to confess it over myself every day. So we're going to look at it again. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And I'm reading from the Amplified Classic. Love endures long and is patient and kind. So again, we could say love is God. God is love. So God endures long and is patient and kind. And when Jesus walked on this earth, this was his attitude. Love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. That is really, when you think about God as being not, uh, does not insist on his own rights or its own way, you really, you really see how anti-world God is. God always gives free will. God always lets you decide for yourself. He will help you to find that right way, but he's never going to insist on it. We can choose to go the wrong way. We can choose that because he allows, always allows free will. He does not insist on its own rights or its own way for it is not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. That's why when Jesus was dying on the cross, he could forgive those who had crucified him because it always looks for the best for others. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. That's why God always forgives and moves on. You know, um, Lamentation says that his mercies are new every morning. You know why that is? Because he always believes the best. He, he, uh, he uh, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Today, you're going to get it right. That's how God looks at us. Today, you're going to get it right. The next moment, you're going to get it right. You're going you're gonna to start walking in freedom. That's how he sees us. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. God never weakens. He never gives up. He never, he never um, just, just crumbles under the weight of it all. He he's always uh, endures everything. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or 
comes to an end. What I wanted to do is a couple years ago, might be more than a couple, I found a, an expanded version of this. You say, no, that's the Amplified, that's expanded. But I found one that what even um, I use for my confession in the morning because it's even more expanded than this. Rick Renner did it. And he, did, he studied all the, the uh, Greek terms and, and, and he uh, expanded it even more. So I want to just look at that today. And as we're reading this, I want us to, to see this is who God is. And, and, you know, the problem is religion really shows God, tries to help us understand God, but in some ways it, it makes God look almost like the bad guy. And you, you have to understand God is not the bad guy. God loves. The enemy comes in just like he did in the garden and he says, well, did, did God really say that? You know, he's trying to make the world think that God is not the God of love that he is. It tries to make the world think that God might be not quite as good as he says he is. No, God is, God is this. God is love. God is always trying to draw us back to himself, trying to bring us into this love relationship that we so long for. And, and the world, and, and even religion a lot of times is going to say, well, it's not as good as, it, as you would like it, but no, it's better. God is love. So um, I, I use this all the time, my confession for... Um, not only to remind me of who God is, but also to show me who I am because of God in me. So here it is. We're again looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. This is the expanded version. Love patiently and passionately bears with others for as long as patience is needed. Can you just see God just waiting patiently and passionately for you to come home, for the, for the uh, prodigal son to come home, for, for his children to learn more about him and walk in more freedom? Can you just see him? Love does not demand others to be like itself. Rather, it is so focused on the needs of others, that it bends over backwards to become what others need it to be. Jesus came to earth because we needed it, not because he did. He saw our need. God saw our need. And he bent over backwards. He sent his son to become human so that we could be saved. Love is not ambitious, self-centered, or so consumed with itself that it never thinks of the needs or desires that others possess. Love does not go around talking about itself all the time, constantly exaggerating it and embellishing the facts to make itself look more important in the sight of others. Love does not behave 
in a prideful, arrogant, haughty, superior, snooty, snobbish, or clannish manner. Love is not rude, discourteous. It is not careless or thoughtless, nor does it carry on in a fashion that would be considered insensitive to others. Can you see God in all of this? God who is always looking out for us. God who is always... You know, it's funny because it says it doesn't behave in a prideful, arrogant, haughty, superior. And what did we just read about Jesus? He laid aside his deity. He became a man. He humbled himself. See, that's God. And we have to understand that because you will walk in freedom when you understand how much God really loves you. Love does not manipulate situations or scheme and device methods that will twist situations to its own advantage. And, you know, sometimes I think we think God manipulates things. God, God kind of does what he would to get his way. See, God doesn't. He doesn't manipulate situations. He doesn't twist situations to his own advantage. Love does not deliberately engage in actions or speak words that are so sharp they cause an ugly or violent response. You know, this has been one that I have really tried to um, concentrate on in my own life because we have to speak words that bring peace, not division. We have to speak words that bring healing and not, not um, a lack of peace. So all of this is because of who God is. Love does not deliberately keep records of wrongs or past mistakes. That's God again, right? He said he washes our sin away as far as the east is from the west. That's, you can't, they'd never come together. The east and the west never come together. As far as that is, that's how far God has washed our sins away. He doesn't remember them. You have to forget them as well. You have to ask for forgiveness and then walk on. Like I said in, in Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. He's not deliberately keeping records of wrongs or past mistakes. You know, Jesus' blood, really, we have to think about it, how powerful Jesus' blood is that washed away every sin. Washed it away, it's gone. It's not covered, it's gone. And God is not keeping records of wrongs or past mistakes. Listen to this, because this, this always struck me. It does not, love does not feel overjoyed when it sees an injustice done to someone else, but is elated thrilled, ecstatic, and overjoyed with the truth. Love protects, shields, guards, covers, conceals, 
and safeguards people from exposure. Aren't you glad that God is concealing and safeguarding us from exposure? I don't know, maybe you didn't grow up religiously like I did, but you always kind of felt like God was going to expose your your shortcomings, your sins to the world because that was going to, what, help you? But God doesn't. He protects and shields. You know, when we, when we have a, a weakness, when we have a shortcoming, he's protecting and guarding us. He's keeping us from exposure until we come to the point of saying, I, I want to surrender this. I, wanna, I want God to help me get through this. He is helping us, not hurting us. He is looking for our good, not our detriment. He is a God who loves and, God, and keeps us. Think of that shepherd, Psalm 23, that shepherd that protects his sheep. He's not looking to find a way for them to, to suffer peril. He is looking to guard and keep them from harm. Love strains forward with all its might to believe the very best in every situation. We're going to look at that a little bit later too. It always expects and anticipates the best in others and the best for others. Love never quits, never surrenders, never gives up. It never fails, never disappoints, never fails, never lets anyone down. That's our God. That's how God acts. That's how God works. And you can see it all in Jesus as he lived his life on this earth. You can see that love working through him in every situation and in every circumstance, always thinking the best, always believing the best, trusting and hoping. It's very hard to comprehend this love because it's so anti-world. Our world, believe, uh, the love that the world talks about is a selfish love. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. And uh, God's love is always about others. It's hard to even imagine that the creator of the universe acts in this kind of love. So Jesus, when he came to earth, did not act like a worldly king. And that's why people couldn't understand him. He did not insist on others serving him. In fact, the word of God says in Matthew 20, 25 through 27, that Jesus had to explain how the kingdom of God operates because it's so different than worldly kingdoms. In the New King James Version, Matthew 20, 25 through 27, it says, and when the 12 disciples heard that James and John were secretly plotting to sit in the highest seats of honor in Jesus' kingdom, they had their mom ask for them. <laughs> they uh, were greatly, all the other disciples were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Why? Because they hadn't asked first. They all wanted those 
two seats, the seats of honor at Jesus' right and left hand. They all wanted that because that's how the kingdom works. Hey, I'm one of the 12 disciples. I deserve to, to have the seat of honor. But Jesus called them to himself, and, he, and now he's going to explain how the kingdom of God works. He called them to himself, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. See, that is not what it says he did. He came down. He humbled himself, became a servant, a slave. He said, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, become a servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So now he told them this. And now in John 13, 1 through 15, we're going to see him demonstrate it. He told them what the kingdom of heaven was like. The, serve, the, the master serves the... Um, the ones who are great become the slaves. And now he demonstrates it in John 13. Now before the, um, again, I'm reading from the New King James, John 13, 1 through 15. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. Now this is the lowest slave's job to wash feet, the lowest slave. And because all of the disciples sitting there, none of them were going to take that position. All of them wanted to be great, not the slave. Jesus, the greatest, their leader, shows him, them what the leader does. This is the example to follow. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel. He girded himself, and after that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew 
who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't skip over Judas? He knew that Judas was going to betray him, but actually didn't he know that Peter was going to deny him? He washed their feet, even knowing their failings, their shortcomings, even the one who betrayed him. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who was sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus had spoken about the kingdom of God before, and now he had talked about it over and over to his disciples. But now he uses a very stark and visual illustration. He takes up the towel of the lowest servant, and he does the job that the lowest servant does. You know, uh, sometimes we have foot washing um, uh, services and and we do that, but, but foot washing is not a job that we have today. We don't walk into someone's house and they wash our feet. But what is the job of the lowest slave? What is the job, and I'm not talking slave as in uh, the one who is actually a slave. We're talking about the lowest job. What is it? And what can we do for others? that will show our humility and that will do something for someone that, that we can show God's kingdom, God's kingdom of humility and service. What can we do? We have to, we have to realize that the kingdom of God is serving others. Jesus himself, our example, served in every way possible. He gave his life for us. Father God gave his son for us. We are supposed to, as, kingdom, as, as citizens of the kingdom, give our, our lives, ourselves, for others. It's how his kingdom operates. The disciples wanted to fight about who's the greatest, which one of us is the greatest. And in Matthew 18, 1 through 5, again in the New King James Version, Jesus said, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly I say to you, Unless you are converted and become as little children, humble, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself 
as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. There's a humility that's, that's key to the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In verse, in the Amplified Classic Version, verse 4 says, Whoever will humble himself, therefore, and become like this little child, trusting, lowly, loving, forgiving, is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what, is, what does this kingdom look like? This kingdom looks like a kingdom of servants, givers, of, of ones who are looking out for others, who love like God loves, who think, who have that attitude of humility and love that Jesus had. That's what I pray for us tonight. I pray that we will understand not only God's love for us, but what he has poured out in us so that we can love. The Bible says that they will know we are Christians by our love. And that's what I pray we understand. I pray that tonight you, you understand that the kingdom of God is made up of the attitude of humility and love. Would you pray with me tonight? Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we look to you as our example. And Jesus, you were humble in every way. And I know that you imitated Daddy God. You did what you saw him do. And now we want to act like daddy. We want to act like you. We want to act like the Holy Spirit keeps prompting us to act in love, in graciousness, in forgiveness. We want to be the servants that you've called us to be. As citizens of your kingdom, humble, and completely surrendered to you to be what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight, maybe you've never uh, made Jesus the Lord of your life. You, you, you can do that right now. You can become a citizen of the kingdom of God. So it's a simple and according to the word of God, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus was, that died and raised from the dead, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. It's as simple as that. But, and I'm going to lead you in a little prayer, but don't just say it with your mouth, believe it in your heart, because that's what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, that if we believe in our heart and say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we become born again. So repeat this after me if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to save me. I believe you died on the cross as a sinless sacrifice for me. I believe you rose on the third day 
and that you are now seated in heaven with my Father God. Thank you. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Congrats. If you have never made that decision before, if you have never prayed that prayer, we would like to help you out in your Christian walk. So just email us or, or get a hold of us, call us, uh, the number on the, on the screen, and um, we would love to uh, send you some literature and help you to walk this new, to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's a great, great uh, uh, country to belong to. Uh, it's a great walk with God. So um, I want to thank you for getting into the word with me tonight. I want to thank you for listening and for digging in the Bible. And I pray that you just continue to, to um Try to understand this love of God, the God who is love. I want to bless you from the word of God tonight before we leave. The Lord bless you, keep you, protect you, sustain you, and guard you. The Lord make his face shine upon you with favor and be gracious to you, surrounding you with loving kindness. The Lord lift up his countenance, his face upon you with divine approval and give you peace, a tranquil heart and life. God bless you tonight. Hope to see you on Sunday, 9 or 11. <laughs>